This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. I'm your host, Arthur Falls. Today on the Ether Review, I'm joined by Zander Dunn and Richard Crabe of Numerai, the Artificial Intelligence Managed Hedge Fund. Thanks for joining me, guys. Yeah, it's amazing to be here. Good to be here. So the first question we have is, what is Numerai? <laughs> sure. Numerai is a next generation hedge fund where we crowdsource all of the machine learning that happens at the hedge fund. So what we do is give away a data set and thousands of data scientists around the world model that data, submitting predictions to our hedge fund, earning cryptocurrency, and that powers our hedge fund. I mean, that's one thing to say, but how does this all come together? Well, the first thing that we did that was very important was create a data set, very high quality data set, that um, we then encrypted and we gave that out to the world. So you'd never want to give away a data set that's a proprietary data set because people would potentially just use that data to start their own hedge fund and you'd be giving up your edge. So the first innovation at Numerai was encrypting our data and giving it away, but preserving all the structure in that data so that machine learning algorithms can still learn patterns in the data. But the people who are modeling it have no idea what the data is or what problem they're solving. Could you define machine learning and explain what it is in a broader sense? Yeah, I mean, machine learning is really like modeling data and trying to predict new observations based on a training set of data. One of the simplest algorithms that everyone's familiar with, it's not really even considered a machine learning algorithm, is regression. So if you have a scatter plot of points, you're trying to relate an X variable to a Y variable, you're trying to make a model. You're trying to figure out the coefficient of a linear model. And then machine learning is just taking that to a next level, to a very non-linear place of all kinds of different functions that are used inside machine learning algorithms to basically find better predictive power than a statistical model. So where do you get these data sets that you operate on? Well, we don't actually talk about uh, where we get them from or, or what they are, but they're expensive financial data that you wouldn't necessarily be able to come across online. It's very clean, very high quality financial data sets. Where do you go to get a very clean, very high quality financial data set? Well, they, if not on the internet. Yeah, there are obviously um, hedge funds spend millions of dollars on data and a lot of it isn't really where it comes from. It's also how it's put together. So you want, might want to buy a huge data set of European equities data and another one uh, for the US. And you have to figure out a way to join them and clean them and make sure that the data is point in time so you don't have any look-ahead bias. So all of that process of cleaning and setting up the problem is what Numerai has done. And the data scientists of Numerai around the world just do the machine learning piece. What do you mean by the machine learning piece and the data scientists of Numerai that exist around the world? How do they operate on the machine learning piece? 
Well, we basically have turned the stock market uh, into a data science problem for them. So to them, it just looks like an abstract data set. All the numbers are between zero and one. And there's just thousands and thousands of these numbers. And so that's all they're seeing. But that's all you need to do machine learning. You just need a data set. And then you can start looking at using statistical methods and machine learning methods to make a model based on that data. So we set up the problem for them, frame it like a data science problem, and they take it from there. And so essentially they build the machine learning algorithms that look for patterns in that data then. Yeah, exactly. So they're essentially competing with one another to produce the best machine learning algorithms. Yes. And so you've had this up and running for a while now, though. Yeah, since December 2015, we've had about 60 different data science tournaments since then. Um, and we do one every week right now. And have you seen an improvement over time? Yeah, there have been many things we've been doing internally, such as getting better data sets and also coming up with new ways to encrypt the data so we can preserve as much signal as possible. And also thinking about the design of the tournament itself and the incentives and how do we pay our data scientists. And that's what we've recently released is, an, is a new cryptocurrency called Numerare, which is basically this native token of our data science application. And it aligns the interests of everyone as well as creates new functionality for them to... Um, express the confidence that they have in their models, predictive power. Can you explain the nature of these tournaments in particular and, and how you use the information that you garner from these tournaments and what happens to the participants? Yeah, Zonda, you want to take that one? Yes. So each week the data scientists get a set of data and there's some, some portion of that data is new and the data scientists are going to make predictions with the machine learning models they're building. And they submit those predictions to our tournament anytime within that one week. And then four weeks after the beginning of that tournament, it will actually be decided uh, how everyone ranked during that week. So what you're so you're actually graded on how correct your predictions are for four weeks. And one of the things you can do during that one week, the, the new thing you can do with Numeraire is actually to stake on your predictions. So I submit, a, submit predictions. I think that these are going to be right. I know this because I know how I did my machine learning. I know that I made it as time invariant as possible so that it's very likely to get a better than random prediction in any time era. And so with that information on my side, I can signal that to Numerai by locking away a certain amount of Numerair on my predictions. And then again, when it's resolved three weeks after the end of the round, that's where the auction mechanism comes in. That's built into our contract where data scientists either have their staked Numerair destroyed or returned with some additional winnings. Okay, so I've got several questions here. First of all, what does time invariance mean? Okay, so one of the features in our data set is actually called ERA. And this is because what a hedge fund really wants isn't the ability to predict a short period of time really well. Like if, if, if we can predict next month 
100% accurately, but then the following month we are 100% wrong, that's useless to a hedge fund because you're just going to be super volatile and you're going to destroy your returns every other month. So what you really want is a set of predictions that work well throughout time. So uh, not only next month, but also the following month. So like throughout a very long period of time, the machine learning model you have built is correct, is better than random. So that's what I mean by time invariance. You can actually, we have this feature in our data set that you can use to help train models so that they're aware of equally weighting various periods of time, as opposed to just getting extraordinarily good at one period of time and then being random in everywhere else. So there's an incentive here to build one of these machine learning models or one of these predictive models that you can develop over time to be more and more effective, but focusing on that time invariance. But bearing in mind, of course, the only time that actually matters is the one month from the beginning of the tournament. Yeah, that's correct. For, for actual payouts for that round. But achieving time invariance is a really great indicator for you as to whether or not you will actually do well in that one month. Because if you've achieved a high degree of time invariance, like you're making good predictions in a large percentage of eras, then it's likely that you'll do well this coming month. On the other hand, if you're doing poorly in most eras, then there's a good chance you won't do well this coming month. When you say their numeraire can be destroyed, what exactly does that mean? And under what circumstances are those numeraire destroyed? Yeah. Whenever the predictions are graded four weeks after the start of the tournament, we know to what degree they're correct. We use log loss as our measure of prediction accuracy. Any prediction that achieves a less than random log loss, so it's basically if I were to just randomly guess what would happen over that month, I would get a certain log loss. So if you get that log loss or worse, then we will destroy the numeraire. On the other hand, if you do better than random, so you actually successfully predicted that month, then you will receive your numerator back. And so the reason for doing this is to just clear out the chaff. Yeah, the idea is that you're making a claim on, I think I'm right, and I have something to lose if I'm wrong. And you will actually lose that if you're wrong. And so what do you do with the information that you gather from these tournaments? What we do is combine them. So the big idea with NumeriWire is really that it's actually quite easy to build one machine learning algorithm on our own data and then just not have the tournament and just do our own hedge fund. But it turns out that if you can get multiple uncorrelated original creative models, you can actually do way better than just having one model. And that's what we're trying to tap into. And so when we get this stream of predictions from all the different users, we actually do another layer of machine learning on top of that to figure out the best way to combine and synthesize all the different intelligence into the final trading decisions that we would make. There's a catch here, right? And someone can pollute this feed of models that you're building if they build something that is only valuable or only works for the following month 
but is not, as you said before, time invariant? Or is there a way by which you filter out what might be outliers, but then again might actually be, I don't know, some kind of sneaky trick by someone who had some inside knowledge that was not taken into account uh, during the tournament design? Yeah, that's a good point. And we've had people who have tried to submit things that they know aren't very good, but just as a way to like maybe get at some of the Bitcoin that we give away. But what we have done for that is one of the big things is we have a very, very big test set of data where they're submitting predictions onto a test set. And we can actually see uh, with quite high accuracy how well their models are going to do. And that's what we, all we used to do. And that actually worked quite well to filter out the models before we traded the ones that were bad. And now Numeraire is, is taking that to another level. We've had only about five days of Numeraire being released on Ethereum. And we can already see that the people who are staking their models have even better predictive power than the ones that aren't. And that's the point. If you, if you really put some Numeraire stakes on your model, then you're definitely not a bad actor. You know, you've got some skin in the game. And so that's having the perfect uh, effect on our data scientists. So why do you only look at global equity? Global equity is a very big universe. There are about 10,000 stocks that you can trade around the world. And so uh, that actually makes for a very, very big data set. And with machine learning, it, you benefit from having large data sets. If we were to trade currencies or something, there's sort of about 50 currencies, uh, roughly. And actually, it's more difficult to do machine learning on that kind of data. So this is global equity is definitely the one that I think is, is worth looking at with machine learning. I'm filming a documentary and I'm in London right now. And I spoke to this fellow, Ben Vickers, who runs a art gallery here, Serpentine Slacker Galleries in Hyde Park. Quite a lovely little spot there. They got a little cafe. And we sat out there and, and recorded an interview. And he mentioned that he'd spoken with someone at Numerai who had said that the ultimate goal of Numerai was to own all of the money in the world. That's true. So, I mean, this project seems so phenomenally ambitious. And there's an assumption of vast... Uh, vast scalability and, and and superiority right like there's if this works as you advertise this is an absolutely unbeatable hedge fund yeah and that's uh, just because we're using these technologies that no other hedge funds are using no other hedge fund is paying their contributors in bitcoin no other hedge fund is sharing their data with encryption and no other hedge fund has created their own cryptocurrency and all of these ideas seem quite peculiar to people in the hedge fund industry, I think. But actually, they enable new things that haven't been seen before. I do always think about Numerize. It's not really like a hedge fund, but more like a protocol. You have something like Bitcoin. It's somehow no one's in control and you can do these international payments, like a banking infrastructure. And maybe you can have like the Bitcoin of asset management. And that's what Numerai could be, where actually no one's really in control except for the whole network uh, deciding what happens. And that's also where we're going with our cryptocurrencies, you know, moving more and more of Numerai onto the blockchain and making a system rather than a company. What assumptions have you made that could potentially have sufficient criticality to derail this vision? Uh, can you, do you have any in mind? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the organizational design of hedge funds, having extreme secrecy, having a, lots of smart people in one room, 
that's the way that it's always been done. And the idea of being able to do it in a distributed way seems unusual. And I think there's a sort of doubt by kind of elitist hedge fund people that could someone really do any better than, than they could if that person didn't go to the same university as them or something. And we think that's obviously true. There have been so many examples of machine learning competitions where the crowd and all the people around the world participating produced significantly better models than just the company thinking about the problem. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And certainly at the scale already, we have over 100 times more data scientists than any other real world hedge fund because of the way we're set up. That doesn't really answer my question, though. I mean, what I'd like to know is, is there something that nags at you that might be the one assumption that you've made that could lead this endeavor to not succeed in the way that you imagine it to? That is the one that the outside, it could also be that one of the things we do is with encryption. To what extent does that hinder performance that is that our users are capable of achieving? Because if we were set up like a normal hedge fund, everyone could see the raw data. But if the encryption somehow hinders their creativity, then that would have an impact on performance. But again, this is something we feel quite good about. And encryption actually enables many other things, such as uh, much higher certainty that the models will generalize and much harder to overfit. Yeah. Again, though, yeah, that's like, that's like non-critical. Well, I've really, I wouldn't be doing the company if there was a super critical thing that I haven't thought about. But I mean, other things, maybe uh, being able to raise money, maybe certain investors are nervous about blockchain or encryption, Bitcoin, and uh, maybe that will take longer than we think for people to get comfortable with that. That could be another one. People not wanting to do anything futuristic, people wanting to do something um, staid. And, and that's the reason that I, I dwell on that point is the next question that is obvious is what does the world look like with only one hedge fund? Zander, do you want to answer that? Well, the natural thing that people typically bring up is the whole zero-sum game idea, which is rubbish because... I mean, finance is not zero sum. I mean, if you go back to the Bronze Age and stop the first loan that was ever made in human history and then press play on human history, then we're all still in the Bronze Age in 2017. Leverage and the ability to mitigate risk is one of those powerful forces in human history for net positive gain. And so the notion that you couldn't have a system that is a net positive gain for the world, not some local optimum that we have with all of these competing hedge funds that don't share any information. You could absolutely have a situation where you have a global optimum, something that is the best, and that is the best outcome for the entire world. What is a hedge fund's role in the world then? Deciding where resources go ultimately. And that's why hedge funds, they don't really know that's why they exist. A lot of them just exist to make money, but they, they're in a system where moving money around, changing the prices of things is actually changing where the resources go. And if you can have extremely high priced things that are mispriced and a hedge fund goes in and shorts them, then that changes investment and human behavior and outcomes. And uh, if 
hedge funds stopped investing in oil companies that would end that industry and then they moved the money somewhere else, some, some other industry would come through. So that's why it is, it is actually worth thinking about it as like a venture capitalist in a way. Where would you put the money? What ideas do you want to succeed? And it's just the same when you're doing that on public markets. So now what we're talking about, if we're going to abstract this a little bit, now we're talking about a system for using price signaling as an input and machine learning to determine the output of a resource allocation machine that could run the world. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's like, it's pretty awesome. I mean, that's totally amazing. Just to think about it in those terms, it becomes by far, you know, the most grandiose project that we've yet seen coming out of the space or ever in the history of mankind. <laughs> Well, it's just the logical conclusion. If you were to say, well, we want to manage exactly 1 billion and then stop. Or we want to do 2 billion and then stop. And then you're like, wait a second. We actually do want to manage all of the money in the world in this way, in this distributed way. And it would be especially scary if all of this power were kind of centralized. But because it'll also be open, it'll also anyone will be able to participate for free. Right now, the stock market has huge barriers. So it's actually very difficult to participate. And with this, it'll be like anyone can always download our data. Anyone can earn money helping us. It's a meritocracy. So I think it would be a better world. This is very singularity-esque. It's singularity of money, yeah. Well, honestly, I mean, I don't know really where to go from there because that's such a high watermark. Any other commentary is going to be phenomenally mundane. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you guys, uh, you guys are collaborating with Polychain and Protocol Labs, is that right? Juan and Ryan and Olaf are all investors in Numerai. Okay, but just investors. There's no formal formal relationship there. Yeah. How did Numerai get started? I was a uh, I was a quant, and I was working on a data set, and um, I made a machine learning model that worked quite well. But it really was a feeling of not being able to collaborate, not being able to share that data with anyone and work on it or improve it. And then I started thinking about how could I share the data and started reading up on new kinds of encryption that allow you to share data without revealing it, but also keeping the predictive structure. And then really within two weeks of that, I moved to America and started Numerai. I thought it would take a long time to catch on. There's a lot of different ideas. You need to know a lot about data science to start using Numerai. You needed to understand Bitcoin. And so there was a lot of difficult things, but people really liked it and people, investors liked it. And I think it was kind of the perfect time to do this kind of company. And now we're already seeing lots of other financial technology companies that are quite a lot more ambitious than uh, they used to be three years ago because of blockchain and machine learning, these things that we use. How do you encrypt data and maintain its structure? What we're doing now is using what's called neural cryptography. And it's basically making two different neural nets train in such a way that one of them is focusing on preserving the signal and one of them is focusing on almost like decrypting it. And uh, if you can get to a point where the one has preserved the signal and the other one can't decrypt, then you consider that data encrypted with neural cryptography. And so it's this very interesting field. And uh, it's not really cryptography like encrypting your password, which rely on these very strong mathematical 
proofs for the security. It's more um, putting it in a, in a neural network setting and almost using machine learning to do the encryption. Can you explain what a neural network is? Um, not really. Zonda? <laughs> yeah. A, a neural network is just very simply this connection of little functions that was uh, invented quite a long time ago, like 40 years ago or even earlier. So it's, it's really quite simple. Usually people compare it to the human brain. It's nothing like the human brain, but it was inspired by the networks of neurons in the human brain. So it's really just, you have basically just rows of little functions, like it could be a sigmoid function or something. And you have inputs into each of these little functions, and then it outputs to another little function or neuron. These little functions are called neurons. So you, you basically just build a large web of these little functions, these neurons that are all feeding into and out of each other. And you end up with something that can self-modify so each one of these neurons has parameters and you end up with something that can self-modify these parameters, that can learn parameters to basically mimic a really wide range of functions. So like you can train a neural net to mimic something really simple like sine. So like if I train a neural net on a sine function, then it'll just learn to produce sine for any number of values. But you could also use a neural net to learn very, very complicated functions that you could probably never write down in any proof-based or formal way. So, for example, what Richard is talking about, encrypting data, finding mappings where structure is preserved, but original format is not preserved. So you can still do machine learning on the output, but you can't tell what it relates to in the real world. You can't tell what the original data were. That's actually something I'm really going to have to re-listen to and, and try to wrap my head around. It sounds like that's a really fundamental to understand in figuring out how all of these technologies are beginning to intermesh. Yeah. Neural cryptography is a really recent development. I think it was a Google Brain paper just last year that really brought it into the limelight. And so, yeah, it is a, it is a really cutting-edge use of neural networks. So, I mean, is there anything we've missed? Yeah, I think we've hit all of the most interesting things. The singularity, neural encryption. Global domination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me, guys. It's obviously been an absolute pleasure. And now I have a, a massively renewed interest in Numerai, which I completely missed when it, uh, when it first emerged. Good. Yeah, thanks very much. It was super interesting. Yeah, thanks, Arthur. For those who would like to learn more, head on over to numer.ai. That's N-U-M-E-R dot A-I. This has been the Ether Review. Visit etherreview.info for more episodes, email contact at etherreview.info or follow us on Twitter at etherreview.info.